Are you a mother, father or you are involved in caring for children? If yes, then listen to Ask the Pediatricians every Thursday by 10 a.m. for insightful discussion on popular child health topics such as dangerous child health practices, immunization, infant feeding, developmental milestones and so much more. You also get to ask questions on these topics and listen to answers to real-life child health issues by a pediatrician. Ask the Pediatricians Foundation is devoted to health education and information of parents and caregivers of children in the community to support you in raising healthy children. Don't miss Ask the Pediatricians with Dr. Bimi because it's informative, educative and interactive. Ask the Pediatricians Hour. The program for caring parents. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new and a fresh broadcast on Ask the Pediatricians. And today we're talking about something very important, something very common in children. We're talking about fevers. I'm sure every mother uh, knows about fever or must have had a child who has had fever. However, there are lots of misconceptions. There are lots of uh, wrong assumptions and beliefs when it comes to fever. So today we're going to talk about fevers and then we're going to address all these misconceptions when it comes to fever. Thank you so much for joining me, whether you're watching me live on the YouTube channel or you are listening through uh, the podcast or you are listening on the Fresh Waves Radio. I want to welcome you all for joining me. I am Dr. Benisela Boyde. I'm a pediatrician and founder, CEO of Ask the Pediatricians Foundation. On Ask the Pediatricians Foundation, our mission is to reduce deaths of children that are due to preventable causes through health education, information, on our social media platforms, and we also do community medical outreaches. And so today's podcast is one of our ways of providing health education to parents to be able to equip them with all that they need to ensure that our children do not die from things that are preventable. So once again, I want to welcome you for joining us today. And remember, if you have any questions on any topic that we discuss on this podcast, feel free to send it to me at drbimisala at askthepediatricians.com. Or you can actually join our Facebook group, Ask the Pediatricians, where we actually answer questions from Mondays to Friday, Saturdays, 24 hours every day. And you will be glad you did. But you can also send your questions to me via email. Or if you have any particular topic of children's health issues that you would like us to address on this program, feel free to also send it to us via email. And we will try and address them in subsequent session. Thank you. And remember to share all our uh, information to friends, invite them to listen on the radio, also listen to the podcast, also watch on our ETP TV YouTube channel. 
Thank you so much. All right, so I'm going to go back to the topic of discuss for today. And we're talking about fevers in children. So let's start first by defining what is fever, okay? Fever actually means body temperature that is above what is normal. So when the body temperature is about what is normal, then we say a child has fever. So that means that we need to know what is the normal body temperature. So for normal body temperature, we usually say it's a range between 36.5 to 37.4. I mean, that assumes that you're going to have a thermometer to measure it. So uh, this is very important because sometimes a lot of parents will tell Hot, how my child feels warm, my child feels hot. And I always like to tell parents that your hand is not always reliable, even though it's a good uh, thing to fall for use, but it's not always reliable. And there are times you may actually think your child feels hot, whereas you are the one feeling hot yourself. And so that is why we have an instrument that is very, very useful. And that is our thermometer. And I remember in those days, usually it's only nurses can use the thermometer because they tend to be mercury thermometer and it's a little bit difficult to read. But these days, thank God for advancement in technology, we now have digital thermometers. So which means even anyone, including all mothers and fathers, you can check your child's temperature and they are very cheap and affordable and available in almost all the pharmaceutical stores around you. So I always tell mothers, you must have a digital thermometer at home. It is a compulsory thing. It's one of the things you need to have either in your first aid box or in at home. So whenever you think your child's uh, body temperature is higher than what it should be, then what you need to do is to grab your digital thermometer. They are very easy to use because they, they you can actually just read the figures of the temperature. So usually there are different instructions. There are those that you can put in the mouth and those you can put in the under the handpits, what we call the axilla. So you must put the thermometer there. And actually, you should leave it for like maybe one to two minutes. Most of them usually will give you a beeping sound. And when you hear that beeping sound, then you know that the child's temperature uh, has been read by the thermometer. And then you can take it out and look at it yourself. And it will write exactly the figure of what the temperature is. And so, which is important for us to remember that normal temperature is between 36.5 to 37.4. So when that temperature is above 37.4 degrees, we say the child has fever. So anything from 37.5 and higher is fever, okay? And when it comes to fever, it can be mild, you know, it can be high or very high, or you know. So we talk about low-grade fever. We talk about high-grade fever. So things like 37.5, 38, we still refer to them as low-grade fever. But when it is going to 39 to 40 degrees, we're talking about high-grade fever. It is important for us to know that because when fever is low-grade, you know, sometimes you can still do things at home and, you know, to try and get it down. But when fever is becoming high-grade, we're concerned because there are 
consequences for high grade fever. And one of them which worries us the most is what we call convulsion. So most children, especially between the age of six months to six years, when the fevers are too high, going to 40, 41, they can actually have a convulsion or febrile convulsion as a result of high fever. And this is something that we don't want to happen. And so that is why it's important for us to know and to do something about fever. So fever is any body, high body temperature higher than 37.4. It can be low grade. It can be high grade. Now, that is the first thing I want us to know about fever. So usually parents felt or sense that their children has fever because maybe when you touch them or you feel them either on the forehead or on the you know, neck area or the abdomen, you feel that they are hotter to your touch than what they should be. And then you grab your thermometer and then you you check it and it is high and that is what is fever now fever is not a diagnosis fever is just a symptom or a sign depending on whether it is the parent picking it up or it is the health professional usually when it is parent that tell us something we call it symptoms when we pick it up ourselves we call it a sign so it can be either way but most other thing is that fever is just telling us something else is going on the fever itself is not a diagnosis and actually for my nigerian speaking uh audience because uh, nigerian living those who live in nigeria we found out that a lot of us um because we have a high prevalence of malaria in nigeria nigeria is very endemic uh for malaria and um, one of the earliest or the most common symptom of malaria is fever. So people in Nigeria tend to use the word fever and malaria almost interchangeably. So people start talking about, I have malaria fever. Or when people say I have fever, they actually mean they have malaria. Or they, when they say they have malaria, they mean they have fever. And they use interchangeably because we see people Parents, especially when they say, oh, my child has fever, I'm going to give anti-malaria because it's as if fever means malaria. And that's because malaria and fever are so rampant. I mean, fever due to malaria is so rampant in Nigeria. But I, I want us to understand that that is not the truth. Fever is not malaria, okay? You can have fever when you have malaria, but you don't, it doesn't mean that every time you have fever, it means it is malaria. I, I need to repeat that again. So fever is a symptom. Fever is a sign. The fact that you have fever does not mean you have malaria. When you have malaria, it can show as fever. It can present as fever, but it is not every fever that is malaria. So let's stop using fever and malaria interchangeably because they are not the same thing. So fever is just a body response. It's just the body reacting to something. And fever is telling us something may be happening. It is just a sign. It is just a symptom of something else. It is not the disease itself. It is not the diagnosis itself. So it is very, very important for us to understand 
the difference, okay? So, which means that when a child has fever, the question for us is why is the child having fever? Before we do anything else, apart from the fact that we're trying to bring down the fever, the question we really need to understand is why is the child having fever? And it may surprise you that it is not every time that children have fever that is because they are sick or they have an illness yes it's, there are other things that can cause fever that are not even sickness for example um, most of us actually in nigeria uh that lee you know when we have babies we believe that oh babies are too you know they have to be kept warm and all that and people wouldn't wrap up babies you know and they wrap them up too much and yes our weather is one of those tropic uh tropical weather which means that we tend to have high you know temperature weather and even during this period when we have the you know the hot season people still wrap up the babies and you know no air blowing in the house everything because they are just worried that baby will get cold and they you know wrap up the baby so much that that baby can actually have a fever from that over wrapping so because the baby is, <laughs> there's not enough ventilation around the baby the baby is over wrapped in a weather that is already very hot that child can have a fever so fever can just be due to something we cause what the professionals we call iatrogenic you know that what we cause it ourselves by you know over wrapping the baby so that is one thing for example dehydration can also make children to have fever like when children have not been drinking water and all that so they will have fever the reason why it's important for us to know the cause of a fever is because if you don't know the cause, you will not know how to address it, or you may use the wrong approach. So, yes, yeah, so that most children having fever is a sign of an illness. But I just want us to also know that there are things that can cause fever. So sometimes when children have fever, the first thing you want to do is actually to cool them off. So you take off if they are wearing too much layers of clothes or sweaters in a very odd uh, environment, you first just take off those clothes and then you give them water to drink, you know, because if they are dehydrated as well, they can have fever. This is for children above six months old. Uh, so and you just do that and you recheck the temperature. And sometimes you may find out that just doing that alone, the temperature is down and the child is okay. So you know that that is a fever that is not due to any illness, but fever due to what we have done, either uh, covering the baby or due to dehydration. However, majority of the time when children have fevers, it is a sign of an illness in the body so it's a sign of an illness and like i start started saying earlier that uh, malaria is one illness that can present with fever and for those living in nigeria maybe this may be the commonest thing that will cause fever in nigeria but please remember it is not the only one so let's talk about things that can lead to fever in children we talk about malaria i guess everybody knows malaria for those who are living in nigeria but for those who are living outside of the nigerian or the tropical african uh, uh belts you may not have as much of malaria but there are other things that can cause fever even in that uh those who don't have malaria as the most uh endemic illness or infection other infections actually can cause fever. There are so many infections that can cause fever. And eventually, all the 
organs of the body, if you have infection in them, you can have fever. So for example, if a child has hair infection, they can have fever. If a child has throat infection, they can have fever. If they have something that is a dental infection or abscess, it can present as fever. If children has infection in their chest, they can present with fever. If children have maybe uh, even gastroenteritis, uh, like that is when they're having diarrhea and vomiting and all that, sometimes it can also present them with fever. And in terms of infection, there are different kinds of germs. So you can have viruses, they can also cause infection, and that can present with fever. And there are so many viral infections, things like measles, things like mumps, chicken pox. These are all viral infections, and they can all present with fever. In fact, some of these infections caused by viruses, they will present with fever first, and then they will present with a rash. So we call them viral enzyme. So fever with rashes, tend to come with uh, viral infections uh, that I've mentioned, some of them like measles, like mumps, like chicken paws, uh, even so many of them like that. So uh, rubella and all that. So those, can, those are examples of viral infections that can cause fever. And some of them will cause fever with a rash. So it's easier for us to quickly you know, narrow those ones down. Then even bacterial infections, and talk about bacterial infections, like I said, virtually all the organs and tissues of the body, if infection occurs in them, even the ones you cannot see, like the heart, like the child has an infective endocarditis or things like that, it can cause fever. The child has a carditis, myocarditis, they can present with fever. The child has infection in the in the in the tissues like the uh, what we call cellulitis they can present with fever children have infection in the bone like what we call osteomyelitis they can present with fever or in the joints we call them arthritis like infective arthritis they can present with fever or children have infection you know in um in 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 the brain like when they have meningitis or they have uh encephalitis you know all these things can present with fever so any infection viral bacteria even fungal infection they can all present with fever so you can see that it's a very very long list of things that can cause fever. So that is why it's always very uh, interesting and amusing when parents just always assume it's malaria. No, malaria is not the only thing that can cause fever in children. So we've talked about malaria, we've talked about infections. Sometimes children can also have fever from some other diseases that are not so common, like some immune, uh, we call them immune conditions you know when it's as if the the bodies uh some antibodies in the body they are fighting each other you know things like that you know things like uh, sle systemic lupus erythromatosis you know children can can also present with fever things like kawasaki disease these are things parents will never think about <laughs> you know but there are also other things that can cause fever it's not so surprising to know that drugs some drugs can cause fever especially when you have been using drugs for so long and the, the child is taking the drugs and taking the drugs uh you know sometimes they can be too much and then a child can actually present with fever and also um since uh, there are children, even children that have cancer, they can also present with fever, you know. So there are different, different things that can cause uh, fever 
in children. So that is actually our job as a doctor to figure out if your child has fever, especially if the fever is ongoing, you know, I've met even things like cancers, I didn't really mention many of them, they can cause fever as well, you know, things like tuberculosis, chronic infections, they can also cause fever. So it's a very long list, very, very long list of things that can cause fevers in children. So and fever sometimes the pattern may vary. So you have different kind of fever pattern. So you have fever that is continuous. So the child is just odd all through morning, day, and evening, night. The child is just odd. Then you also have fever that has intermittent fever. So the child is odd maybe in the night. Then in the morning, the child is fine. So people tend to say, oh, my child is always fine in the morning. But once it's becoming evening like this, then the fever starts to come. So we have what we call intermittent fever. And so there are different, and I've already talked about being low-grade and being high-grade fever. So dif different kind of patterns of fever, that also helps us to know. So when, when the child is having fever, uh, the most important thing is to know why the child is having fever. But actually, you as a parent may not be able to do that. You have to do that with us. But like I said, when a child is having fever, we, we don't want them to have convulsions. So we need to know as parents, what are the first aid that we can do to bring down the fever so that the fever does not become too high and does not lead to convulsion. Before we take the child to the hospital to see the doctor, we're supposed to now tell us why the child is having the fever because that is a job of the doctors. So let's quickly talk about what are the things we can do when a child is having fever to bring down fever. There are actually many things we can do. Uh, you know, it's not just only paracetamol, which is what many of us are familiar with. Before we even get to paracetamol, there are other things we can do to bring down fever. The first thing is to remove all the clothes. We talk about doctors will say expose the child or the nurses will say expose the child. Well, basically, they means that take off all the clothes. You know, actually, if there are babies that are being overwrapped and, you know, we want to take off the clothes and maybe leave something light, like maybe one, uh, a, a singlet or something very light or just nothing. Sometimes just taking off the clothes and then you let the child have like a fan blow on them. That alone, sometimes it cool off some children, you know, and it will cool off the fever. That is one thing we can do. So, a child is having fever, you know, sometimes I see parents, they come to the hospital, this child is boiling hot, but the child is still dressed in like cups and socks and mintings, <laughs> you know, so it's very, very like, what? This child is hot and you're still covering like this. So, you see the Doctors or the nurses screaming, take off the clothes, take off the clothes, expose the child. So that is the first thing we do. We expose the children. So that alone may even call off some children. Number two, we can actually, you know, let the fan or the AC blows them. That's another way of cooling them off. You know, so you can just allow them to blow, you know, fan to blow on them. Usually that usually goes with the exposing them and then letting them be near the fan or the AC is on somehow to cool them off. That is number two that we can do. Number three, we can actually give the children a bath. We can give them a, a cool bath. So it is not... 
uh, hot water bath. It is not cold water bath. It is a cool bath. So cool bath means it's a temperature that is like that of the tap water. So if you just run your tap on its own, or you can put your hand, you can feel it. It's neither hot nor cold or lukewarm or tap water kind of temperature. You can just let the child have a bath. And when the child has had the bath, you don't dry them off completely, like you don't towel them dry completely. You just allow a little bit of the water to still remain on their body. And as that water is drying off, you know, so those of us that remember our physics, there's what we call convection. So there's uh, the water is drying off and it's taking some of the heat with it and taking down some of the fever. So that also is one way of bringing down fever. So after those three ways now to bring down fever, Take off the clothes, expose the child to, uh, expose them to hair, to the fan, to the AC. Three, give them a bath. It can be cool bath and, you know, don't wear them dry. And then the, the temperature may start to go down with that as they dry off naturally by themselves. Now, the fourth one is actually what we call tepid sponging. Tepid sponging uh, is... What mothers like to use a lot, uh, but what so many people don't know what the word tepid sponging means. So, tepid the word tepid actually means lukewarm water. So, when our children are having fever, please don't use hot water to rub them, you know, and don't use cold, ice cold water. You know, we want you to use just like normal temperature water or tepid or lukewarm water. So, what you do is you get a little bit of towel. You know, so this is similar to like giving a child a bath, but some of you may not be in a, in a place where you can quickly run a bath. Maybe you are not at home or, you, you know, so instead of doing a bath, you can just get like a little bit of towel or any clothes actually in, in something that you can see drip inside the water, squeeze it out a little bit, but not completely squeezing out all the water. And then you pat the child's body with that, you know, you rub their body with that uh, clothes that has been taped in water. So in that process, it will leave a little bit of water on the child's body. And when it's leaving that water on the child's body, as the water begins to evaporate, the child will begin to cool down. One thing we must know with tepid sponging is that it's something you have to do over and over. So you don't just do it once and stop. You do it over and over and over again until the child cools off. So that is tepid sponging. So that is the fourth way by which we can uh, bring down temperature. And sometimes tepid sponging, you may have to do it all night long. <laughs> Especially if, if your child is having fever in the night and you're not able to go to the hospital, sometimes you just have to keep tepid sponging them, you know, so you put a little bit of clothes and water, rub it over their body. When that one dries off, you do it over again. And that is also a very effective way of bringing down fever. And let me just quickly say that this, all of these methods are not that you have to use just one. You can actually use all of them. So you have taken out the clothes, you are putting on the fan, you are tepid sponging, or you've got to give a bath. Sometimes you have to use all those methods at the same time, or two or three, if not that, or use only one and that's it. So that is a first way by which we can bring down fever in children. 
Remember, why are we bringing out fever? Because we don't want it to get so high and we don't want it to get so high that it may cause a febrile convulsion. Because when a child has convulsion, there are other complications with convulsion. The child can fall, they can hit the head, and they can, you know, you know, no, they can pass out. So we don't want all that. So we try to bring down fever as soon as we can so that it doesn't get to these points of having uh, leading to conversion. Though some children will say have the conversion no matter what you do, because some children they have this tendency to feel bright conversion, but as much as possible, we try not to allow it to get to that point. So that is the uh, fourth thing we can do. Of course, the fifth thing is what most people are familiar with. We can give medication that can bring down fever. So the medication that brings down fever, we call them antipyretics. So these are medications. So another word for fever is actually what we call pyrexia. So that is what doctors will call it, pyrexia. So uh, the medication we use to bring down fever, we call them antipyretics. So of course, most of us are familiar with paracetamol. It's still the number one medication when it comes to fever in children. So please, you can always give paracetamol. However, the problem most parents have with paracetamol is that we don't always give the right dose. We always give, I think most parents actually give a little less than what the pediatricians would have given. So uh, I know most of you at that time, you don't know the weight of the child, you don't know how they weigh, and you don't be able to calculate the amount of the paracetamol, and the doctor is not there. But most of the time, the the manufacturer of those medications for paracetamol, they would have written it that so age, so so age to so so age give this amount of paracetamol. From this age, you give this amount of paracetamol. You can actually follow that recommendations. So, but uh, what I would just like to say about that is that uh, for babies, for newborn babies, that is the only people which are using paracetamol drops because I see a lot of mothers, even when their children are now. Um, uh, six months, seven months, nine months, they are still using the paracetamol drops that they bought for them as a baby. I forgot to mention that immunization can cause fever. Actually, it's one of the causes of fever that is also important. So it's one of the side effects. For those of you who listen to the broadcast on childhood immunization, and we talk about the uh, side effects of immunization, fever is actually one of them. So it's good that I remember to tell us that. So, um, but you see, parents, some parents go for immunization at nine months and they are still giving the paracetamol drops, 0 0.3, 0 0.6 meals that they were given when the baby was born. That is be too small. And if that is too small, it's not going to do anything. The fever is not going to go down. So when it comes to paracetamol, you can give it for fever. But remember, you have to give the right dose. So I was telling parents uh, on ATP, just give paracetamol drops only for newborns. Newborns, 0 to 28 days, that is what we call newborns. Those are the people who are using paracetamol drops. Once they are about two months and above, please switch to the paracetamol serum. And just like your thermometer, your paracetamol is also one of the things you must always have at home. You must always have it in your first aid box or in your fridge. Always have paracetamol at home. And most children don't like the paracetamol syrup, the bitter one. So there are 
other ones, the suspension one, that are a little bit ta better tasting. So you may want to invest in buying the paracetamol suspension rather than the paracetamol syrup. Both of them are good and effective. But from my experience as pediatrician and as a mother too, I know that most children don't like that bitter one. They would rather go for the... Um, the sweeter ones, the suspension one. And seriously, anything that will make your life easier for me as a pediatrician and as a mom, I recommend that. So go for the paracetamol suspension. Always have it at home. For your older children, you can give them the tablets. You can break. And there are even tablets for children, the 250 milligram one. And there are tablets for um adults the, the one you normally take which is 500 milligram one the white one and that one children from age of 10 can use the uh the big one the the paracetamol um that is 500 for children between 5 and 10 you can give them the half of the tablets of the big one or if you can get the 250 milligram the children one it is also fine but for most of our children below the age of five we need to have paracetamol syrup at home and i recommend you use the suspension and i recommend that you go by the dose on the bottle or if you go to the hospital anytime and you are in the hospital you can always ask the doctor what dose of paracetamol can i give my baby because they can work it out based on the weight so we pediatrician we prescribe uh medication based on children's weights most of the time not their age so for example paracetamol is about 50 milligrams per kilogram that's what we're going to give to a child so a child is one year old weighing 10 kilos needs 150 milligram of paracetamol per dose and that is actually a little bit above five meals that's actually about six meals of paracetamol but even if you give five meals it is still fine but i'm just telling you how much of paracetamol a one-year-old child will need and so we can always work it out so but if you don't know the weight of your child you don't know that information it's fine go by what is recommended they will have written three months to six months this is the amount maybe one year give this amount just follow that uh, recommendation that is the first thing so when you give the paracetamol, remember, or even when you do any of the other methods of bringing down fever, remember to check again the, the temperature. So it is not like you check it once, you do all your interventions to bring down the fever. You need to check whether your it's working or it's not working. So if it is working, the temperature will be coming down but of course sometimes it's coming down then after a while it goes back again which means we keep doing what we've been doing you take a sponge you expose you can give paracetamol now the paracetamol you can actually repeat it every six hours okay that's one thing parents also don't remember that sometimes they just give it once and they think it is for 24 hours no you can actually be repeating your paracetamol every six hours till so if you check your temp if you give the, the paracetamol now maybe after a few minutes or one hour you check temperature is down you can check it again but if you feel the child is hot again you can repeat paracetamol in six hours sometimes you can repeat it as as early as four hours but i usually prefer parents just do the six hours so you repeat it in six hours and you keep on doing it usually most temperature will just come down as you're doing this but some temperature, despite all your intervention, they will come down and they will come up again. So if your temperature keeps persisting beyond, uh, the fever persists beyond 24 hours, 
usually you need to come and see us unless you know what is causing the fever. For example, if it is fever due to immunization, we will just say continue your paracetamol for the next two to three days, you know, just continue for two to three days. All right, if it is, if it is, um, so you don't need to quickly come and see us as long as you're still giving your paracetamol and the fever is really not so high and it's coming down, just continue for two to three days. But if you don't know the cause of the fever, then we recommend that you actually come and see us. Usually for 24 fever is going on for more than 24 hours in children, you should come and see us. And if you remember the advert for paracetamol, uh, they always say that if after two or if after two days, there's no uh, improvement, go and see your doctor. There's a reason why that advert message is there. I know most parents, you know, we just listen to the advert and we just we don't even take note of that recommendation that if after two days there's no improvement, see a doctor. It's important because if it's just a minor fever due to maybe virus or something, we expect that after two days of paracetamol, the fever should go down. If the fever is not going down, it means there's something still going on. We need to know the cause of the fever and we need to address it properly. So that is what um uh fever is all about so it is not just to treat the fever so what i've been talking about is about how to treat the fever how to bring fever down but this is not enough to fever itself it is more important to treat the cause of the fever so for example if your child has malaria no matter how much paracetamol you give the child will still keep on having fever until we give an anti-malaria to take care of the cause of that fever because each time the malaria parasites uh, infect the red blood cells and they break they will release all those things that they release uh the and those things will make your child start having fever and some children will have fever with what we call right gut so they're having fever they are hot but they're also shaking as if they are cold so we call that right gut. so it is not just to treat the fever we need to treat it cause of the fever and for example malaria if the fever is due to infection we need to give antibiotics we need to treat the infection some infection we need to treat it with oral drugs that is something you give by mouth and some infection we need to treat it with injections you know we need to admit the child so that is where your doctor comes in so what you need to do is after you've done your own first aid if it is low grade fever, I would say wait two days. But if the fever is really high, like you are going 39, you are going 40, you just need to come to the hospital. Because high grade fever tends to tell us something very serious is going on in with the child and you will come to the hospital. So when you come to the hospital, what we do, what doctors need to do is to ask you questions. We ask you questions, when did the fever start? How has it been going on? Are there all the symptoms? Remember what I told you earlier, that there are many things that can cause fever. So if you tell us other symptoms, it helps us to narrow down, okay, this is most likely the cause of the fever. For example, if you tell me child has fever, has red eyes, has catar, uh, has cough, now the child is having rashes. Oh, it is very easy for me to say this is most likely measles causing this fever. Okay, so the child has fever, 
and the cheeks or the, the, the area where we have what we call the salivary gland, they are swollen. And then we say, oh, this is likely mumps. Okay, or your child is having fever and then the child is coughing. And when we examine your child, we can hear some sounds in the chest or what we call crepitations. Or we know, oh, this is most likely a pneumonia, you know. Or we examine the throat and we can see the swollen tonsils. We can see pores on the tonsils. Oh, we say this is tonsil. So this is how doctors make diagnosis. So we cannot do that without seeing you. So we need to see you. We need to see the child. We need to ask those questions. We need to examine the child. Sometimes we ask you questions, we examine the child, and we're still not sure. You know, I've given you examples that are very clear. So we can see the measles rash, or we can see the tonsils are inflamed, or we can see pores in the ears. Then we know where the infection is coming from. But sometimes we do the examination, we uh, ask all the questions, we are still not sure where the fever is coming from, and so we need to do tests. So sometimes we need to do blood tests, so we will do the malaria parasite test, we will do the uh, full blood counts, we will do other tests. We may do chest x-ray, we can do cultures. Maybe we are thinking it's a urine, like for example, your baby is crying when passing urine, or it's passing urine frequently, we are thinking, oh, maybe it's a urinary tract infection, then we need to take a bottle of the urine, send it to the lab, and know what is whether there's something there like a bacteria that is causing uh, a bacterial infection that is causing the fever. So these are things doctors need to do. And at this point, I need to sign a note of warning because a lot of mothers will tell me on NCP because each time I go to the hospital, my doctors just write anti-malaria and antibiotics. There, there's really no point for me to go to the hospital. I'm just going to go buy the anti-malaria and buy the antibiotics. This is very, very dangerous very dangerous. Please don't do that. And because you will never know the day the child has something very serious and delayed presentation is one of the reasons most of our children in Africa die from things like measles, things like diarrhea, things that should not normally kill our children. But because parents don't go to the hospital on time, they don't seek for medical help, then we end up losing these children because it was by the time parents come to us, it is too late. So I will recommend that you don't self-medicate our children. You take them to the hospital. And I say be careful. I know in Africa, you know, standards are not always the best that they should be. I worry about hospitals where anytime your children have fever, all they do is treat them for malaria and typhoid. I didn't mention typhoid, okay? It's one of the favorite diagnoses of uh, hospitals in especially Lagos, Nigeria, where I used to live and practice for a while. So I found so many of these private hospitals, either they are not being manned by professionals or the professionals are just not pulling their weight. Every time they, they just everybody's been treated for malaria and typhoid fever, malaria and typhoid fever, and it's like, and even parent people now just tell us actually when they ask questions on ask the pediatrician Facebook group, I have malaria and typhoid, and I'm like, oh, okay. So immediately I hear that, I know that this is one of those places. So it's, most time it is very rare for you for children. Even for you as adults to have two diagnoses at the same time, it's possible, but it is not the typical thing. So it's either you have the malaria or you have another infection. And most of the time, the infection is not typhoid fever. Uh, most of the time when people say they've done wider tests, they've done this, most of those tests are 
not done properly. So they are not even telling you the truth. And some of these labs just feel all sort of nonsense. And then they tell you, oh, you have this and you have that. That is why I also frown a lot at parents when your children are sick. Instead of you going to the hospital, you go to the lab first. That is putting the car, I mean, the horse before the cart. Uh, I hope I didn't say it the wrong way around. <laughs> okay, so always, you know, you must make sure you do it the right way. So it is not to go to the lab. You know, when your children have fever, I know because most of you, you are used to the doctors. When you go to the hospital, the doctor will send your child and they will do the lab test and then they will recommend this. So if I, let me cut off the doctor's part of it, <laughs> let me just go straight to the lab. And some of the lab, some of them will even be writing the medication or prescribing for you, which is wrong because lab scientists are not authorized to prescribe medications. You know, they are not licensed to do it. They are licensed to do the lab test and report it for you and give it to the doctor who will now interpret and decide how to treat your child. And I always tell parents, we don't treat lab results. We treat a child, okay? So sometimes I may get a lab result and I may not feel like I agree with the lab results because I have the one that see the clinical picture of the child in front of me. And the lab result is supposed to support what I'm already thinking. It's not to tell me the diagnosis. It is just to support what I already think is wrong clinically. So that is why it is wrong for you to just go and go to the lab, do a test and be treating your child without seeing a doctor, without a doctor first for making uh, adequate evaluation of your child, clinical examination, knowing what is wrong with the child. So it is very important that we get to try it for those of us from Africa and especially Nigeria and especially, especially Lagos. Okay. So let's get to try. So when your child is sick, please go to the hospital. Do not start treating malaria. You must confirm malaria before you treat malaria. And these days we have, you know, most hospitals, they can do malaria tests. We all got rapid diagnostic kits. So they will know if your child has malaria or not. And please, every child does not always have malaria when they have fever. I know it is still very common. I know it's one of our commonest uh, causes of fever, but it's not the only cause of fever. And sometimes some children just have respiratory infection. Some children have urinary tract infection. Some children have tonsillitis, sore throats. People don't even look in these areas and they just start treating children. It is wrong. So if your child has fever, please go to a hospital uh, that you can trust the doctors or preferably go to the government hospitals because I trust most of them will do the right things from the general hospitals, station hospitals. Then they can see your child. They can, if they think, they need to do a lot blood test. Because uh, some of you also complain, oh, the doctor didn't do any blood test. They just recommend medication for my child. Doctors don't always have to do blood tests. If we have examined your child and we are sure of our diagnosis, then we can go ahead and treat the child. We Sometimes we do the, we do the blood test to confirm what we're already suspecting or if we are not sure, it will help us. So we need to do the clinical evaluation do blood tests or any other laboratory tests if necessary, and then we recommend the appropriate medication. This is how to manage fever. And if we say treat it for three days, even if the fever goes away after one day, please complete the treatments, okay? So many parents, the child has a boil or a fever, you know, and you give them antibiotics, and after two days, the boil has gone. Then that is, the parent just stop the antibiotics at that point. No, no, no. 
you have to give it continuously and complete it for the five days that the doctors recommend. Whether it's five days or seven days or 10 days or six weeks, sometimes we treat some children for six weeks, you have to complete the treatment so that we don't develop, the children don't develop antibiotic resistance or resistance to that particular medication that we use. So this is what we do. And if we are treating your child and your child is not better, please always go back for follow-up. So I get a lot of questions. Oh, I've been to the hospital. And of course, be patient, okay? No, because I see parents who have been to the hospital in the morning and by evening, they're already on ATP and saying, oh, doctor, I've been to the hospital. My child is having fever. I've given a paracetamol. Uh, apart from paracetamol, you can also use ibuprofen, but I usually don't... Uh, like ibuprofen by parent because ibuprofen has to be given with on on uh, you know you have to be with food you can't give ibuprofen on empty stomach and most times children when they are not feeling well they're having fever sometimes they don't have good appetite so which means that they tend not to eat and so that is a challenge with ibuprofen but otherwise if your child is eating and having fever you can either use persistamol or you can use ibuprofen but one thing you must never use is aspirin. Don't ever give aspirin to babies or children when they are having fever. Okay. So uh, things like Fensic and all those, I don't know whether there are other brands now, but that's a common one that I remember, but you know, we call it aspirin and don't use that to reduce fever in children because in some children, it can lead to a very serious condition we call Rice syndrome, which is more like the liver will fail. and It's a very terrible fatal condition. So we don't like aspirin in children when they have a fever. So if you have aspirin, because that is what your doctor recommends for you for other reasons, and your child is having fever, please do not give aspirin to the child. You can give paracetamol, you can give ibuprofen, you can tepid sponge, you can give a bath, you can expose them. Those are things you should do. And if the fever is not going down, you go to the hospital and let the doctors um, evaluate your child, do the necessary tests or whatever investigations they need to do and treat the child and complete the treatment. So, but please don't give aspirin. Okay, so if your child is already on treatment for the cause of the fever, and always ask your doctors what is the cause of the fever, because I see a lot of parents also asking me, they've been to the hospital, but they are still asking questions that shows they are not sure what exactly the doctor is treating. So the doctor may not be 100% sure. We are not always, uh, we are not oracles, but we have an idea what we're suspecting. And sometimes the way medical... Uh, practice works, we may suspect three or four things, okay? We will suspect three or four things, but we may go with the first one, which we think is the most likely. So we start treating your child for what we think is the most likely. However, if your child is not better, you have to go back to the doctor because if the doctor is already treating what you think is most likely and the child is not better, then the doctor can re-evaluate. Re-evaluate the child, re-evaluate his or her diagnosis and decide, okay, maybe this is actually not my first differential. We call them differential diagnosis. We think, oh, maybe it's not the first one. Maybe I should think of the second one, you know, so and then the doctor may need to make adjustments to their plan and all that. So this is how medical practice works. So the fact that you are been to the hospital and the doctor is treating your child 
and your child is getting better is not getting better does not mean that doctor does not know work or does not mean that doctor does not know what they're doing sometimes like i told you we always have to have like two three or four things can present in a similar way and we have to go with what we think in our judgment, clinical judgment, is the most likely and start dealing with that. And if the fact that if it works, then we know we're correct. Sometimes it doesn't work, then we know that, okay, maybe it's not the first one. Maybe we have to go for the second one. So sometimes the lab tests and all that may help us, but sometimes they are not always also helpful as well. So we have to still use our clinical judgment. But like I said, don't jump to conclusion after 24 hours or even so, so some mothers have given anti anti malaria they've given let's say malaria is even the cause of this fever and you've given your first dose of non-lance or uh what's the other one that people gave uh quartem or whatever so you've given the first dose and the fever is still continuing that does not mean it is not working so don't panic don't i, I always tell friends the disease is not starting one day so it's not going to go in one day. So you have to be patient. And actually, my home recommendation is at least 24 hours or 48 hours. Use your treatment first. You should still be doing all the things you're doing. You can still be giving your parastamol for the fever. You can still be tapping sponging while you are giving the other drugs that your doctor gave you for the fee for the cost of the fever. So you are doing the treatment for the fever and the treatment for the cost of the fever at the same time. So give it some time. Usually most doctors will tell you when to come back. Like if, if after two days, come back, there's no improvement, come back. So if your doctor does not tell you, you are free to go back. If you think the fever is really still very high, you're worried, but at least wait for at least 24 hours because at least the medication also needs time to kick in before you can start rushing back to us. But if your doctor have not told you what to do, if after 24 hours, 46 hours, your child is not better, you are free to go back to the doctors and then you can see them and then they can tell you, uh, like I said, either consider the diagnosis again or reevaluate the child. Or some children, we may even have to admit them. We have to keep them with us in the hospital so that we will know uh, why they are still having the fever. So this is how we deal with it and make sure you complete your treatment. Now, before I round up, I need to talk about children that have a recurrent fever. So some people tell me my child has fever every month. My child is having fever, you know, we're always treating infection, we're always treating malaria. So if your child is having recurrent fever or persistent fever, it is important that you see a pediatrician because sometimes some of those persistent recurrent fever are signs of those conditions that are not so common, you know, conditions that are not like we see all the time or conditions that are more sinister. So we always want, so usually children should not be having fever every month. And please, you don't need to treat children for malaria every month. So some mothers have now decided, okay, so as to avoid this, uh, going to see the doctors, you don't want to spend money for doctors. Okay, we understand. So people are like, okay, I'll just be treating my children for malaria every month. Please do not do that. That is very, very wrong. We want our children to develop immunity and treating them unnecessarily is not good. The only people that should take medication to prevent malaria are pregnant women, uh, children with sickle cell anemia. And or if for any reason your doctor has told you your child has to take medication to prevent malaria, then yes. But otherwise, please do not treat children for malaria 
every month. Another thing some mothers do is to give paracetamol every day. And I always tell parents that there's no safe drug. Every drug is a poison. What makes a drug not a poison is the dose. So we give paracetamol for two, three days. We expect it to finish its work and we expect it to stop. But you keep on giving it and giving it. It can damage your child's liver. It can lead to liver damage. So please don't use medication for too long. Don't give paracetamol if your child does not have fever. So I'm sure with my child is I think the body's spending them. How did you know the child's body is spending them? A, new, a child less than one year. You know, please don't make those kind of assumptions. Don't just give paracetamol. It can cause liver damage. Don't just give medication not prescribed by doctors. Don't self-medicate. It can cause serious uh, consequences for your child. So, but if your child is having fever and fever, you need to be treating malaria every month, please go to a teaching hospitals because teaching hospitals have uh, pediatricians who are not just pediatricians, but they're specialist pediatricians in the field. And there are specialist pediatricians for what we call immunology, hematology, that they can investigate why is this child having fever and fever and fever over again. Sometimes that may be the first time we're going to pick up a child who has leukemia or a child who has a tumor somewhere. So we really need to see those kind of children. We don't just keep treating malaria and typhoid. You need to take those children to the hospital. Okay, so we have come to the end of today's discussion and I've just been talking about fever in children. I think fever is one of the most common symptoms. I think at one point or the other in the life of every child, they are going to have fever and we have said that fever is high body temperature and we've talked about the fact that fever is a symptom and it's a or a sign of something else going on in the body it can be due to things that are just maybe dehydration or being overcovered but it can also be a pointer to illnesses uh, some of them might some of them serious We've talked about what you can do to bring down fever, exposing the child, uh, um, uh, giving them a bath, tepid sponging them, give them antipyrectics like paracetamol and ibuprofen. And more importantly, going to the hospital to know the cause of the fever and to get the fever, the underlying cause of the fever treated. And if your child is having fever going on for too long, please see a pediatrician, preferably one in a tertiary level hospital where they can do extensive investigations and so that they will know what is really causing that fever and they can deal with it appropriately. More importantly, we don't want fever to go so high so it doesn't lead to febrile convulsion. However, if your child still always have convulsion because of fever, uh, then you need to see a pediatrician as well because there are other tricks that we can do, uh, things that treatment that we can institute for such children so that when they have fever, they don't end up having conversions. So I want, at this point, I just want to say thank you so much for listening to me. If you have any questions about fever, feel free to send it to us on uh, Dr. com, and of course you can always ask your question on uh, my Facebook group on Ask the Pediatricians Facebook group you can always watch all these videos and of this broadcast on FTP TV on YouTube and you can also follow my podcast on Ask Dr. Bimi ATP and of course you can always watch uh, listen to this program as well on Fresh Waves Radio on Thursday at 10 a.m. 
uh, every Thursday. So um, uh, thank you so much for listening to me. And I just want to wish you a very wonderful day. Bye for now. Bye. Are you a mother, father or you are involved in caring for children? If yes, then listen to Ask the Pediatricians every Thursday by 10 a.m. for insightful discussion on popular child health topics such as dangerous child health practices, immunization, infant feeding, developmental milestones and so much more. You also get to ask questions on these topics and listen to answers to real-life child health issues by a pediatrician. Ask the Pediatricians Foundation is devoted to health education and information of parents and caregivers of children in the community to support you in raising healthy children. Don't miss Ask the Pediatricians with Dr. Bami because it's informative, educative and interactive. Ask the Pediatricians Hour. The program for caring parents.